You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. To grab them by the pod. I am Kevin along with Jesse. And what a strange few days it has been. We've got the summit to talk about. And Jesse, what else do you have for us tonight? Well, there's no breaking news, but I think there may be possibly some imminent breaking news. Uh, reports came out today that uh, our old friend Michael Cohen may be cooperating with the Mueller campaign going forward. He may be arrested at any minute now. So uh, the way things usually go with our podcast, I'm sure it'll break as soon as we post this episode. Uh, so uh, while it hasn't happened yet, I bet we're going to have a lot to say about it uh, next week on the next episode. But as you mentioned, we had the G7 meeting. And uh, before the G7 meeting even happened, by the way, uh, this is a meeting that was in Quebec, uh, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom joined the United States. There, uh, before that meeting even happened, uh, Trump publicly said that Russia should be reinstated to the G7, which would then be back to the G8. You know, perhaps uh, we should probably call it the G6 plus one because I'm not so <laughs> sure the other countries would really consider the United States still a functioning member of the team. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. I mean, this is just another example of Trump supporting Russia, which is weird. Uh, it's annoyed our allies. Uh, and you don't want to annoy them prior to the meeting, before it even begins. Uh, you know, Trump swears, he said it repeatedly, he said it recently, that he's Russia's worst nightmare, which, I mean, I don't see it. Um, he hasn't been their worst nightmare, uh, but he wants to be part of the economic talks. He goes, you know, why are we having a meeting without Russia being in the meeting? Well, here, here's why. I'm glad he asked. Uh, Russia was kicked out of the G8 at that time in 2014. This is when Russia decided to annex Crimea from the Ukraine. Uh, in the past, Trump has said, oh, the people of Crimea, from what I have heard, they'd rather be rushed with Russia than where they were. Uh, he also, for some reason, is blaming Obama. Like, you know, it's Obama's fault uh, that Crimea got away and he allowed Russia. No, it's Putin's fault, but he won't blame Putin. Yeah, now the world views uh, the Russian annexation of Crimea as an aggression. The, U the UN General Assembly rejected the annexation and urged its members at the time not to acknowledge Russian control of the Crimean Peninsula. Now, this dates back to the 1991 Helsinki Agreement, where Russia had signed off on uh, autonomy in Crimea as a part of the Ukraine. So, you know, they've gone back on their word. Why should we trust them? Why should we invite them back into uh, the group of eight, if it would be? I mean, quoting the Big Lebowski, who was quoting George Herbert Walker Bush, this aggression will not stand, man. Uh, Trump could have mentioned any number of countries to bring into this conference. Could have uh, mentioned Brazil or India, these large company, countries, some of which have nuclear weapons, have giant uh, economies. But no, it always comes back to Russia with this administration. But no collusion. Yeah, no you know, collusion. something tells me India's booming economy with one billion plus people makes them a much better fit at this time for such a group. But that's just my humble opinion. Yeah, I think I read that you know, California has a bigger economy than Russia. I mean, Russia's huge. There's a lot of uh, wasteland. I mean, Siberia, Siberia. Is it teenage uh, wasteland? Yeah, <laughs> teenage wasteland. Uh, I mean, Trump's own party speaks out against him uh, when it comes to his views on Russia. Senator Ben Sass says Putin is not our friend. He's not our, the president's buddy. He's a thug using Soviet-style aggression to wage a shadow war against America, and our leaders should act like it. 
Uh, you know, Republicans aren't going to do anything about it. I mean, maybe someone like Ben Sass will talk a big game. Uh, but the fact that they're actually are talking a big game, I mean, it's something. I mean, it's it's not what we want, but at least it's a step kind of in the right direction. At the very least, it sows division within their party. I mean, they're going to have a lot of soul searching to do in this 2018 midterm election of who do they really stand behind? Are they the party of Trump? Are they the GOP? What, what are they? Uh, they've got to figure that out. Uh, and, and hopefully for the country's sake, they get back to, uh, their usual selves. They're not good. You know, we had some primary elections uh, on Tuesday and Mark Sanford, he's the guy who, he disappeared. He was like in, in Argentina or walking on a trail or something a couple of years ago. Uh, Trump came out and spoke against him. Some, a sitting, uh, a sitting representative of his own party, and he then lost. People are afraid, and that's the problem. They think Trump will tweet against them, tweet in favor of their rivals, and uh, they'll lose. So they're willing to uh, have no spine and go along with crazy things like supporting Russia if it means they can get reelected, which is not what government's supposed to be about. Yeah, if they were thinking, they would realize that it's only the base, Trump's base, that's actually going to listen to his tweets, mm-hmm. and they might pick up some crossover votes if they are moderate and reasonable Republicans. You're speaking crazy. Why would they ever think for themselves? So I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that the G7 meeting itself uh, was an embarrassment for the United States. Uh, I think most people have probably seen now that infamous infamous picture uh, taken at the G7 meeting of Trump and Merkel and the rest of the leaders. Uh, you know, they're surrounded. Trump is surrounded by the G7 leaders. They're all looking down at him. He's just sitting there, arms crossed, looking indignant like he can't be bothered to hear what they have to say. Yeah, you know, I kind of took it as a child being scolded. And man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room to hear what was being said and, and to really get an insight into what these other world leaders think of the man. Yeah, I don't particularly find German to be a, a pretty language, a, a pleasant language to listen to. So I can only imagine what Merkel was saying uh, after this meeting uh, to all of her supporters and all of her uh, folks. Uh, so according to two senior diplomatic sources, uh, this picture was taken uh, while a difficult conversation was taking place regarding the communique, which is their official statement. Uh, specifically, they were in the middle of an argument about the trade section of the communique. Uh, you know, Trump in uh, his administration didn't – they hate the World Trade Organization. They didn't want it mentioned. Uh, there's also a problem with the insistence of uh, reciprocal trade. Uh, they eventually came to a compromise on this stuff because you got to give in to Big Daddy Trump uh, or, or you can't get anything. Uh, and according to the sources, the agreement on this language was seen as an achievement since the discussions were very intense and difficult. Uh, but unfortunately, this achievement didn't last long, did it? No, not at all. And Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had a thing or two to say about it, didn't he? Uh, he acted like any good head of state would. He went out of his way to downplay any personal clashes with Trump over the tariffs. Uh, he said the meeting was very successful and it was an inspired discussion. Um, but he also said not, you know, he's not going to get pushed around. He's got to stand up for his own country and said that Canada was going to retaliate against the U.S. tariffs on steel and aluminum uh, with tariffs of their own. Uh, he said, I have made it very clear to the president that it is not something we relish doing, but it is something that we absolutely will do. Can- Canadians were polite. We're reasonable, but we would not be pushed around. Contrary to what you've seen in television and movies, the Canadians do have a backbone. They will stand up to you. Bravo. (laughs) And and they'll be very nice while doing it. So good for them. You know, they're not as crass as our current president. Uh, But of course, you know, Trump, 
he's what we call a Twitter tough guy. He uh, won't say anything to people's faces, but the second he gets away from them on Air Force One, he can tweet out and say crazy things. Uh, while he was on Air Force One, he tweeted out, PM Justin Trudeau of Canada acted so meek and mild during the G7 meetings only to give a news conference after I left saying U.S. tariffs were kind of insulting and he will not be pushed around. Very dishonest and weak. Uh, he then went on to say, based on Justin's false statements at a news conference and the fact that Canada is charging massive tariffs to our U.S. Uh, farmers, workers, and companies, I've instructed our U.S. reps not to endorse the communique as we look at tariffs on automobiles flooding the U.S. market. Uh, it, it really was just ridiculous. It shocked the other people at the meeting and just made the whole weekend for nothing. Yeah, nobody. you know, much like the advent of the firearm, social media allows anyone to feel tough regardless of whether or not and, they could do anything about it in person. And, you know, Reagan had trickle-down economics. I think Trump has kind of like trickle-down tough guy syndrome uh, because some of the people that worked for him had some things to say, too. White House trade advisor Peter Navarro said, there's a special place in hell for any foreign leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with President Donald J. Trump and then tries to stab him in the back on the, on the way out the door. And that's what bad faith Justin Trudeau did with the stunt press conference. I, I can't believe this is real. I can't believe this is going on. Uh, you know, we're saying there's a a special place in hell for one of our biggest allies in the world. I mean, first of all, Trump's minions are getting into the name calling game too. And Ted Cruz actually came out and said he, he thinks it's a stupid thing to say. There's no special place in hell for Justin Trudeau. And if you have Ted Cruz uh, going against you and you're Donald J. Trump, man, you must, must have done something wrong because, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, Cruz is really a sick Well, guy. Navarro has been made to kind of change his tune. At an event hosted this week by the Wall Street Journal, he walked back his words saying that he used language that was inappropriate and basically lost the power of that message. I own that. That was my mistake. Those were my words. You know, in my experience, it is the loser who tends to blame others. That's the story of the Trump administration. Uh, it's never their fault. Uh, you also had Chief Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow say that uh, Trudeau's statement was a betrayal and that he stabbed them in the back. By the way, uh, Kudlow was hospitalized uh, for a heart attack, although I think he's been released. Uh, we don't agree with him politically, but, you know, wish him a speedy what? recovery. He never wants yeah, to. Yeah, you know, he is another Connecticut guy in the Trump White House, after all. He owns a home in Reading, but much like all the other Trump uh, appointees from Connecticut, uh, you know, he's from the Gold Coast, the, uh, the other Connecticut. Yeah, it's really just Northeast New York, kind of, or New York City, I guess you'd say. Uh, Kevin, I actually want to run something by you. Uh, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but I want your thoughts on this. I'm going to read you something. Tell me what I'm reading, sure. okay? In a desperate bid to revive his abysmal peacetime approval ratings, the President of the United States agrees to a scheme proposed by his corrupt cabinet member and launches a top-secret propaganda campaign to vilify Canada. A US, as U.S. citizens get caught up in a xenophobic hysteria, a group of residents wielding machine guns organize a vigilante invasion that could trigger a real war with America's gentle neighbor to the north. What do you think uh, that is? What is the uh, – it was a John Candy movie. Yes, that's the plot line to Canadian, Canadian Bacon. Bacon. I believe it was. it was – The movie he was – I believe that was John Candy's exactly, final movie. the movie he was filming yeah. when he died. And, and that movie has become a reality. Art imitating <laughs> life, folks. <laughs> really? Um, you know, one of the good things that had come with this meeting was, did you see the Trump-Macron handshake? It was all I did, Twitter. the one that left uh, the president's hand with a little indentation. Yeah, we, we all know that Trump has these ridiculous handshakes. I mean, he's just like a power move where he pulls them into himself and he, and he tight, tight grip. You know, anybody who has an artificial tight 
handshake, they're overcompensating. I mean, we already know he has some issues with possibly small hands, uh, but you know, a real man just has a real handshake. Not too. It's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Not too strong, not too weak. Well, just Macron right. dominated those tiny little hands. He showed him who was boss, and I like it. Yeah. He, he winked at the camera during the handshake too. I like it because he's, you know, he's young. He he knows what's going on. He's he's hip. He can tell the kids, uh, you know, what's lit or or something. I don't I don't even know. Even if his wife is pushing seventy, doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's a uh, Stella got her groove back type situation. So that was all taken care of. Uh, but then we had to move on to North Korea. Uh, Trump finally made his historic trip to Singapore, where he met with North Korea's Kim Jong-un. But before leaving for the meeting, he was asked how long it would take for him to figure out whether Kim was serious about giving up nuclear weapons. And he made a really odd statement, I would say. Uh, He said, I think within the first minute, just my touch, my feel, that's what I Yeah, like W, he can look into the soul of a man and figure him out. (laughs) It's amazing he hired people like Flynn, like Paul Manafort, all these people who are in trouble now with the law. Uh, he, he must not have had a touch touch with them or, or couldn't look at them because uh, they're all in trouble and, you know, would never be Donald Trump's fault. Yeah, he never actually met them, right? He didn't really know them. Yeah, you know, they're, they're coffee boys. They just, you know, were there for a very short time. Uh, so uh, Trump also had predicted before the actual meeting that he and Kim would have a terrific relationship. And, and when they were sitting next to each other, Trump said, we're going to have a great discussion and I think tremendous success. We're going to be tremendously successful. He always has to say tremendous. Uh, and it is my honor and we will have a terrific relationship. That I will uh, believe now. I mean, they're two <laughs> in the, the same. They're, they're two peas in a pod. Yeah, it's uh, it, you know, one one dictator and one wannabe uh, dictator, at least a president with authoritative, uh, you know, tendencies. Uh, after this, they both had a one-on-one meeting. Uh, the only people in the room were the translators. Uh, would that scare you as much as it's? Oh uh, no, me? completely harmless. I mean, they probably just talked about the weather or movies. Kim's yeah. father liked movies. Trump has been in some movies, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, how much you want to bet that that translator just disappears and they never see him again? <laughs> he heard too much. Time to get rid of him. Um, after the meeting, Trump said that Kim was a very worthy, smart negotiator and vowed to meet with him many times. Uh, he said Kim was a very talented man who loves his country very much. And this is where I have some problems. with. I mean, I have problems with a lot of things, but uh, he's talented. They asked him why. He's he has no butthole. Well, anybody – Yes, yes. Has anybody has seen the Seth Rogen movie? Yeah, he has no butthole. Uh, a man has no need to poop. Um, he said Trump said that anybody who takes over a situation like he did at 26 years of age and is able to run it and run it tough. Um, yeah, he's able to run it tough. Let me just go through a few things here, Kevin, uh, that the uh, United Nations released in 2014. It's a report that examines some of the uh, North Korean uh, issues underneath Kim Jong-un. He's a real nice guy, right? Uh, yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Uh, you know, if you have uh, different political views than him, uh, he'll throw you to prison camps without a trial. Uh, their families don't know what the hell's going on. They just disappeared. Uh, I think they were up to uh, 120,000 inmates in the cousin's uh, political prisons in 2014. I bet Trump tried to work and at a prisoners... deal to put some CNN journalists in those prisons while this was over. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jim Acosta yelled out while they were talking, so throw him in there too, please. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he would love that. Uh, prisoners are starved. They're forced to work. They're tortured. They're raped. They're executed in public. Uh, in the first six years of him being leader, he ordered the executions of 340 people. It's, look at this. this is just like Joe Schmo in the street. He doesn't. Where are like, they? Texas. He, 
he, uh, he executed his deputy premier of education uh, because he was having a disrespectful posture. Um, a general was executed with an anti-aircraft gun because he fell asleep in the meeting. I mean, I'd be in big trouble if that was the case here in America. You have to send a message. Uh, <laughs> his uncle was educated, uh, was executed with anti-aircraft machine guns, and his body was incinerated with flamethrowers. His estranged brother was killed through chemical warfare at an airport. Um, these are not th- these. These are things like you know people throw around Hitler or Stalin or you know these this call people horrible names. But he's legitimately an evil human a being, a real humanitarian. I. North Korea's had a famine since the 90s. To be fair, that was Kim uh, Jong-il. That was his father. That was his father. Yeah, you don't have the sins of the father. Uh, it's when food was used as a political tool. Um, but this is the guy that Trump is honored to meet. The, the UN summary of this report is 36 pages. The report itself is 372 pages. I mean, it's well worth the read just to see the absolute horrible things that Kim Jong-un and his father and his grandfather have done to North Korea and its people. And Trump, you know, is very honored to meet him and thinks he seems like a nice guy. You know, got to give him a chance. Yeah, you know, know uh, if only Obama had met him, right? If only Obama had done this, uh, all these people could have been saved. No, he does not love his people. Uh, He doesn't want what's best for his people. He wants what's best for himself. Uh, That's why he kills people. You know, he'll sneeze and you don't say, God bless you. And, you know, they'll feed you dogs. And and that's like a literal thing, I think. It's it's not fun. Uh, So after all this happened, after all these, you know, one day of meetings happened, uh, Trump and Kim signed an agreement uh, committing to the United States. Here's a problem. We don't really know what was necessarily committed to. Unspecified security guarantees uh, in exchange for a denuclearized uh, Korean peninsula. You know, they're going to call off all of these joint military exercises with South Korea, which apparently really surprised South Korea and Japan, which, you know, more allies that we just screw over by not telling them what we're going to do. I mean, Trump probably just came up with that in the spur of the moment. In a meeting. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he did. Gave away everything, including the kitchen sink. Because it sounded and, good. You know, yeah, you know, it sounds like a great, great guy. Kim, you know, we just have to talk, give him some stuff back. The problem is, um, while they're going to, uh, you know, agree to the denuclearization of the Korean, uh, Korean Peninsula, there's no timetable. There's no specifics. It's just like, oh, yeah, you do this stuff for me, President Trump, and, you know, we'll help you out at some point. And you maybe want some more more of a firm um, agreement before you end up leaving there because it's been an absolute win for the North Korean uh, regime, I guess you'd say. Uh, and uh, Trump will have you think it's a win for the United States, but I don't see it, do you? No, you know, my first take from it all, and granted there needs to be more information to come out of this, but my first take certainly was that, you know, it was a lopsided deal in their favor. There's a lot of uh, conservatives, Republicans, you know, listen to a podcast like ours, listen to the news, and they say, you know, these liberals or these non-Trump supporters you know, want America to fail. They don't want a safe America. They'd rather Kim Jong-un have nuclear weapons if it means Trump goes down. And that's not the case. If Trump can actually denuclearize North Korea, I will be the first person to praise him for it. But as of now, we have a bunch of unspecified concessions and a promise from one of the least trustworthy uh, world leaders 
And this is all part of the North Korean playbook. They've done this time and time again where they make promises, they get uh, concessions thrown their way, sanctions are lifted, and then they eventually just don't follow through. And I don't understand why people think it's going to be different. No, not at all. And and I I think it's irresponsible to say that liberals or Democrats want the country to fail and that we would, you know, we just want to see Trump go down. Now, if if he's able to bring a real long lasting peace to this situation, I'll be the first person to praise him. He deserves all the credit that he should get. Uh, I just don't see that happening. I see him as having been played by a leader whose country has a history of reneging on deals that they've made. You know, according to the BBC, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that there is still a great deal of work to do with North Korea, but added that major disarmament. We're hopeful we can achieve that in two and a half years with with what? You know, where where's the meat to this? Uh, How do we know that we're going to be able to get that in two and a half years? What did they uh, concede to in this meeting that we're not being told about? well, you know, you know what else is in two and a half years? Mm, yeah. Another presidential Go election. And just in time. I, I'm certain if anything happens, it'll happen just before then. And, the, you know, they probably made some deal. Uh, you know, you help me out right before the election, we'll help you. Yeah. Out. Well, Pompeo also said that reporters' questions of why there is little specification in the document the two leaders signed are insulting and ridiculous. So just another page <laughs> out of the Trump playbook, you know, call the news media fake because they ask questions. It's their job. How dare they use I, – I think after uh, they called – it was um, – I can't remember his name right now. It's the guy – we talked about it a few episodes ago who's going to be the campaign manager for the next Trump campaign. Brad Parscale. He basically – yeah, there you go. Thank you. He called for Jim Acosta's uh, credentials to be pulled because he quote, spoke out of turn, and Jim Acosta from CNN uh, stood back. And that's what they do – in in that's what dictators do. It's what authoritative leaders do. It's not what we do in America. And he's absolutely correct. You you could not like that he yelled at a question, but uh, you know these these guys want to go, pardon the term, want to use a nuclear option and and just go all in when it comes to the stuff, and that's not necessary. Yeah. So, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, and of course, you know, Democrats in Congress have been uh, pretty critical. Uh, Senator Chris Murphy, our senator, uh, tweeted out, the U.S. gives up one of our biggest negotiating trips military exercises. North Korea ends up backtracking on previous promises on denuclearization. What the hell? Uh, Congressman Steve Cohen tweeted out, loves North Korea so much that he has them impoverished and enslaved except for those he murders. Uh, you know, yes, there is a certain degree of politics at play uh, when it comes to the Democrats not liking this, but, you know, they're right by the criticisms. And I read an article today, I think it was through Vox, where the reporter tried to speak to something like seven or eight Republican senators, and they'd ask the senators, uh, do you agree with uh, Trump when he you know, basically says all these nice things about, about Kim Jong-un? And they either answer another question, repeatedly answer a different question, or just basically walk into a room and close the door. They won't answer because they don't want to criticize him, but they also don't want to come out and say they agree with him because only a lunatic would do that. Mm, Yes. So uh, all we can do now is wait and see and, you know, hopefully we hold on to our butts and uh, everything is great. But, uh, you know, as I I made a joke this weekend, uh, you know, my parents are on the West Coast right now, so I hope he doesn't piss off Kim Jong-un too much because, you know, God God knows what could happen. Yeah, we can only hope this does work out. I mean, it's better than the nuclear war alternative that we were headed towards just a few months ago. But, but, you know, here's the problem. And, you know, know, Trump's main mantra since being elected is, you know, make make America great again, America first. Um, But... 
as a country, I've talked about this in, in past episodes, you know, we think of American exceptionalism in that, you know, we're the good guys in history. We're the good guys, whether that's true or not anymore can be debated. But if we um, get rid of nuclear weapons, we're safe. But the people in North Korea are still in prisons. They're still being starved. They're still being killed. And, you know, I don't know what we do. Uh, do we preserve our safety and say, screw them? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, it would seem to be self-serving if our only goal in this entire negotiation is just to denuclearize. There's got to be more than that. You know, we've got to. I mean, ask a, ask a Holocaust survivor what, what they would have thought if we were like, well, as long as Germany doesn't attack America, do whatever exactly. you want. Exactly. You know, so if we're not pushing for more, uh, you know, humanitarian uh, uh, action in the North Korean regime, then, you know, this is all for nothing, right? We can't just be looking to denuclearize. We've got to be pushing for uh, more action to stop what uh, the North Korean regime has done uh, in regards to human rights. Yeah, because there are countries we disagree with, and then there are countries whose leadership, as I said earlier, is just, you know, pure evil. And uh, you, you just, you know, I, it's hard to say that the world is black and white, that there's good and bad. But uh, I, I, I like to see anybody say why Kim Jong-un is not bad. Um, you know, he, he's bad down to his bad haircut. Whatever that way. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about today's show is uh, a recent Supreme Court decision on Monday. The Supreme Court upheld the controversial voter purge policy in Ohio. The uh, decision was across party lines, 5-4. Um, under Ohio's user lose it policy, voters who have not voted in two years are flagged and sent a confirmation notice. Uh, and if they fail to respond to that notice uh, or don't vote within two years after that, uh, they're removed from the voter rolls. What do you think? I mean, uh, there's a lot that can be said in regards to this uh, as far as disenfranchising voters. And, you know, I, I know we've got more to talk about on this, but uh, – to me, I, I can't stand for that. Or to quote your your beloved Hall and Oates, I can't go for that. No, no can do. <laughs> Which you know, I recently saw in concert last week, by the way, as you know, Kevin. Uh, the reason they're doing this, uh, Ohio is claiming, you know, they're not the only state that does this. Um, Ohio is claiming that you know, this process used to identify voters who are no longer eligible to vote due to the change in residence. Uh, you know, I, three years ago, I moved away from Virginia, and they emailed me stuff, and, and you know, I, I'm, I don't know if they'll take me off the voter roll. I'm not sure how their process works, but, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Critics of the policy say that you know, the federal law bars states from removing people from voter rolls. I mean, the Voter Registration Act, I mean, these things are put in place for a reason, uh, but the conservative members of the Supreme Court disagreed. Uh, I mean, Justice Alito's decision, he, he was the one that, that released it, and he said uh, that this warns recipients that unless they take the simple and easy step of mailing back pre-addressed postage, prepaid card, or take the equally easy step of updating their information online, uh, their names may be removed from the voting rolls uh, if they do not vote during the next four years. Uh, it was Congress's judgment that a reasonable person with an interest in voting is not likely to ignore a notice of this sort. You know, Kevin, I'm a reasonable person, and while I vote, I'm really bad at 
paying bills when I, you know, when it's not made super easy for me. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. So I can just see people, you, know, you have three kids, you're crazy, you got a lot of junk mail, get accidentally is thrown away. And then, you know, four years later, or however long afterwards, they go to vote and they can't do it because, oops, they've been taken off the voter rolls. Yeah, you know, I have a problem with Alito's decision because I believe it makes a lot of assumptions. You know, I see this as another attempt to disenfranchise voters on the lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of factors in here that, you know, who are we to assume that it's a simple and easy step of mailing back a pre uh, postage paid stamped envelope? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, assumptions, as I said, being made here. Not everyone in our society who has the constitutional right to vote has a permanent address, has access to a computer. All these things that seem so simple to the majority of us, we are disenfranchising those on the on the lower rungs of our ladder, as I said, from participating in their right to democracy. I mean, mail gets lost all the time. Uh, you know, I, it would be very, I guess, fortuitous, but in a bad way, uh, if you were to mail this back against lost. But, you know, things happen. Um, there was a couple of dissenting opinions. Justice Sotomayor um, said that this you know, is ultimately sanctioning the very purging that Congress, Congress exp uh, expressly sought to pr uh, protect against uh, with the National Voter Registration Act. Uh, Justice Breyer said that uh, it's a, an irrelevant factor in terms of what it shows about whether a registrant changed his or her residence. Uh, we should be making it easier for people to vote. Uh, we, we see things uh, in uh, in other states like with North Carolina where uh, there's a lot of shenanigans going on and suddenly people can't get out there and vote. Uh, we should be going out of our way to make sure that anybody who wants to vote can and not come up with these silly excuses to why they have to be taken off the voter rolls. It's just, it's just ridiculous and it's politically motivated in my opinion. Yeah, it certainly is. And I even have to give credit to states that we don't normally give credit to in these situations like Texas. <laughs> you know, I lived in Texas for three years. Texas was one of the early states to adopt early voting. You know, it doesn't just have to be done on the election day itself. Get more people out there. Give them more options and time to actually get out and vote. Make them feel as though they have the opportunity to participate in their democracy by voting. And, and you know, Connecticut hasn't even gotten on, on board with the early voting yet. I mean, these, like you said, are things we should be doing to enfranchise more people. And if you listen to what the Supreme Court said, uh, the folks who voted in favor of this, uh, and the people who are pushing it in, in Ohio, you know, it's simply done to clean up the voter rolls, make things easier, uh, you know, clean up all the messes. But then Trump tweeted out, just one big Supreme Court decision on voting. Great news. Why is he so excited? Why does this uh, equal the need for a presidential tweet? And, and why are Republicans so determined to discourage people from voting? These are the questions we have to ask, and uh, people may shut it down, but it has to be asked uh, because it's simply Because, Jesse, as I firmly believe, this country is truly progressive in nature. I mean, people want to move forward. And they need to stop, the Republicans feel the need to stop people from voting so that they can maintain their grip on power. According to a Pew Research study done between 1992 and 2016, 48% of all voters in America identify as or lean Democratic as opposed to only 44% Republican. There is your answer. And I feel the need to say this, Kevin. I've said it in many episodes, but you know, every podcast is somebody's first podcast. And if this is, if this is the first podcast of ours you're listening to, 
I was a registered Republican for 17 years up until uh, you know a year and a half ago or so. So we're not just sitting here bashing Republicans because we're you know New England liberals who can't stand. Them. No, no, no. I've been on both sides of the party line, uh, and I go with what I think is right. And when I see facts change, uh, my opinion changes. And uh, this is one of those cases where it's ridiculous, and uh, we're against it because it's immoral, not because we're registered Democrats. If you truly believe in democracy, then you go with the will of the people, whatever that may be. You don't try to rig the system yeah. just in your favor. You, you err on the side of allowing people to vote rather than the opposite. Oh, but, you know, the glee of the president and other Republicans uh, will continue on and be very telling. So uh, all we can keep doing is fighting the good fight and, and hoping eventually uh, in the grander scheme of things we come out victorious. So what do we have for Kevin's Corner this week? Well, Jesse, we can always have hope. Hope that there will be a brighter future. Hope that the democratic process will work in future elections. Hope that negotiations between the United States and North Korea will yield a real and long-lasting peace. We should also hope for a president that values the relationships this nation has built with trusted allies over the last century as much as the budding friendships between himself and authoritarian despots in other far reaches of the globe. We should question any American president that seeks to develop a lighthearted and friendly relationship with a dictator while at the same time seeking to stifle the free press in his country by calling it the biggest threat that our country faces. We can hold on to the hope that our country will be led by a president that welcomes constructive criticism, seeks advice from others, admits to faults, and that will be moved by the will of the American people to act in accordance with the Constitution to protect the best interests of the citizens of the United States of America. Some may call it naive that power corrupts and that our president is doing what is right. They might remind us that the hope which was ushered into the White House almost 10 years ago was false and that we are now relegated to a nation rife with division and headed towards destruction. However, it is not too late to change course. It is never too late to have hope. It would be short-sighted for us to count out the better angels of our nation's future. You said it, Kevin. I mean, it, it, just to reiterate, we live in a country, the United States of America, where right now, the uh, president and the White House and the administration are uh, friendly with the leaders of Russia, North Korea, Philippines, and uh, they're pissed off at the leaders of Canada, Germany, UK. And if that's not a Twilight Zone episode, I don't know what is. Bizarro world. And that, yeah. And on that happy note, <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening to our uh, podcast. Remember, go to our website at grabthebythepod.com. We can find all of our podcasts, our links to social media, and just a couple handsome pictures of the two of us. Uh, and, uh, you know, we hope to bring. Uh, some news next week of the whole Michael Cohen fiasco, if indeed it happens. Uh, and until that time, Kevin, it's been fun. Later. Later.